brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with Midi Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at Midi understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And Midi can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Bienvenidos a VP Wrigleycast, el mejor podcast de los cachorros de Chicago en todo el internet. Para comenzar hoy en la... Eh, oh, so, sorry, wait, that was... That's for the Spanish dub that we're doing later tonight. Sorry. Uh, this is BP Wrigleycast, uh, the Cubs podcast that looks at the game from both the uh, analytical point of view and the fans' point of view. Sorry about that. I went to, I went into Spanish mode. Uh, today with me is Ryan Davis, a guy we picked up off the street, and Jared Willis, co-editor-in-chief of BP Wrigleyville and writer for 2080 Baseball. Welcome, guys. Good what to be was here. That? <laughs> <laughs> I just sometimes I, am I on, am I on the wrong channel? <laughs> you you thought so for a minute. Did I hit a weird button on my remote? You are an hour too <laughs> early. That's the problem. I have a secret podcast that I do. I basically transcribe the whole podcast and redo it in Spanish. It's just me doing different voices. <laughs> I don't publish it. It's just how do I subscribe to that? That's I need to listen to that. <laughs> That's the one that you pay eighty dollars a month for. Oh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There's a lot of demand for uh, rolling R's. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, well, let's get started uh, talking about the Cubs. The Cubs are at a solid 6-6, six and six, third in the NL Central, just where we thought they would be at this point in the season. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the offense. The offense has been inconsistent, hot, cold. And before I throw it, I'm going to start uh, start with Jared. But before I throw it to you, Jared, I have to get something off my chest. Uh, put up your dukes we're 12 games in and I think I alluded to this last time but the intensity level is so far removed from where we were last year at the end granted World Series all that stuff I'm not going to go through all that again but what what it's made me realize in this past week since the last time we recorded is really I'm starting to understand a little bit more about the mental part of being a major league baseball player and playing 162 games. I'll never fully get there because I'm not going to be a major league baseball player, sob, sob. But to, to think that as a fan, the not intensity level, 
(laughs) (laughs) To think that as a fan, the intensity level can drop this much, and it's like, wow, there's still so many games. And I always, you know, when I'd go see games, and I'd think to myself, they look so casual and so, like, like it doesn't matter to them, the players. It's just like, eh, like any day on the street. And it's because they're doing this so much that that how you know, we expect them to be so intense and so on and always like into it all the way. And it's like, it's impossible. 162 games. It's just not possible. You have to figure out a way to, to get your mind through that long stretch of a season. And I think I'm starting to understand that a little better. And, and, and granted, this is just from a fan's point of view, but that being said, if my, if my comments today are tinged with a little bit of, eh, it doesn't matter. It's 12 games. That's that's what it is. <laughs> that being said, Jared, what do you think about uh, about this the offense so far this year for the Cubs? Well, I think I mean, I think you're you're right for sure. We're all seeing that like you know, we have to like come to terms again with what it's like to watch baseball in April versus what we got accustomed to last fall. Um and it's true like they they play so much that like some of these some of these things are just not as big as they feel in the moment to us like it's really frustrating to see what's happened um particularly the last these last two games against Pittsburgh i mean just to to watch um to watch that that has been difficult but i think we fall into the trap sometimes of we treat major league baseball like it's the nfl and with this high level of importance. Great point. Yeah, we put on each game, like each individual game is a be-all, end-all, and it's just not. Um, You know, I'll point to like the first three series. Um, You know, the better approach is always looking at it a series at a time, and you won each of those series. You're six and three. That puts you on pace for 108 wins or something like that. Um, And so it, it... it's a definitely an, an adjustment from where we've been. Um, but I do think we're watching this, this offense get off to kind of a slow start. Um, what's been missing has, I think has, has been a lot of the power. Um, you know, there's, there's a few we've had, you know, Chris Bryant had the two home run game, but, you know, compared to what we're accustomed to seeing later in the season, it's just not there so far. Um, so that I think has been the, one of the more notable absences and also not having, you know, if you go back and look at what Dexter Fowler did in April last year and they don't have that right now. And he was a big difference maker at the top of that lineup last season. Yeah. I think that was one of the points I wanted to touch on was, and this is obviously a small sample, but when people talk about, you know, what, what is the bigger um, factor in creation of runs? Is it power or is it on base? Uh, the Cubs rank in a couple different areas right now in the National League. They are 15th out of 15 in home runs, so dead last. They are 3rd out of 15 in on-base percentage, and they are 11th out of 15 in runs. So as of right now, I think you're right that the power is really what is is lacking. They're getting on base, but they're not you know, getting home runs. They're not you know, driving those runs in. So it's a small sample, I think people are freaking out about it not not a ton of people but i see people on my my twitter timeline you know freaking out about it uh and it's funny to me it's just funny i have already had um you know a close friend tell me that he has people he sees as intelligent cub fans you know essentially being done with joe madden 
you know, and just like that's ridiculous. You're you're done with Joe Madden over, you know, essentially you're, you're <laughs> time to up, go. You're upset about game seven and game six, you know, bullpen moves still, and now you're seeing, you know, some regular stuff that Joe Madden does with the bullpen that you always looked over, and now you're seeing it, and and you hate it, and you're upset, and it's twelve games after winning the World Series. <laughs> like the, this is just that is peak Cubs fandom to me. What's, what's the what's the psychology thing where you always adapt up to whatever new thing you get? You get the brand new phone, you get the brand new fancy car, and two weeks later it's like, ugh, yeah, this it's 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 a nice car, but it's not as nice as that other car. <laughs> That's where right. we're at. Yeah, no, I I think fans just need to calm down on the small sample size of of twelve games, but. Um, yeah, it is frustrating, I think, for people to be so excited about having to w- won the World Series and, and all the talk, you know, I and mean, this is our fault, too, as, as writers and people who talk more about the fault, Cubs. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, more your fault, yeah. More my fault, sure. But, uh, you know, we talk it up as, you know, this is, this is just the beginning. They're going to win multiple World Series. They're going to be in the playoffs every year for the next 10 years or, or whatever we say. Um, I, I think that sets an expectation that, um, every year is going to be like 2016. And I, I think I can't say this strongly enough. No year is going to be like 2016. That year will stand on its own. Uh, the way they dominated baseball from beginning to end, uh, the way they came back and won the World Series, the way they won the World Series for the first time in 108 years, that is that it, the no season is going to compare to that. So the fact that they got off to a relatively slow start to, to this season I don't think is a big deal but hey I mean Jared I think you said when they were six and three they were on pace for 108 wins or something like that uh, until the Cardinals won earlier today they were on pace for 40 wins this year at three and nine so it could be worse right and uh, <laughs> I think if anything right now this is giving us like a good appreciation for just how great 2016 was from start to finish um right you know they started off so hot we were i mean we were counting that run differential um from the first week or so and then just it was really a steady march right up to the end you know there was that stretch what five or six weeks up to the all-star break that had some of us wringing our hands a little bit um and that's what right now kind of reminds me of it's it's a similar feeling um, just kind of a, a dry spell that's going to happen during the course of a season. It's kind of weird to see it like like this. I think we, we expected them to come out of the gate just tearing everybody up, and it's not happening yet. Um, but, yeah, I think this is something worth just relaxing about. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it's interesting because, what was it, after a few games, I remember just when I was looking at the box score, and you just go down the lineup and it's it's a ridiculous lineup and it's baseball right you're not going to you're not going to mash like you mashed everybody's not going to get hot at the same time although if that does happen watch out but it's still a phenomenal lineup and it's one of those things about baseball right and i guess sports in general you can do everything the right way and have it all lined up and sometimes it's not just it's just not going to work and that's kind of what the cubs are going through right now yeah, I guess there's a few other more specific things we could talk about um, and just say, you know, obviously, like we just said, small sample size, but um, are these things to be concerned about for the, you know, going forward? Um, you know, Kyle Schwarber struck out 19 times in 56 plate appearances. 
uh, is that something to be concerned about uh, for a guy who has such a great batting eye and can recognize balls and strikes so well? Um, you know, that that's a lot of strikeouts. Uh, and then I guess Javier Baez has kind of looked pretty terrible at the plate so far. Um, ben Zobrist has more of a track record than those guys, so I'm I'm not as worried about him breaking out. But I don't know. What do you guys uh, do? You guys have thoughts on on those two players specifically? Well, when it comes to Schwarber, um, I think one of the things that's important to remember is we have not seen a tremendous amount of plate appearances from him um, in the majors. I mean, you consider, you know, without taking the time to look it up in. 2015 it was a small number then um last year of course just a handful of games and so then we you know we've got the postseason experience in there as well but he's not had a whole lot of time at the plate during the regular season and so i can live with the strikeouts i think that's that's not going to bother me too much um because he still is has been consistent about getting on base which if he's going to hit lead off i'll take it um Baez is definitely I'm, I'm a little more concerned there just because of his history because we know how ugly things can look at the plate um you know I, I think it was when the count is full um he swings at the next pitch almost 100% of the time um <laughs> and so and somebody you know somebody can check me on actually this, I think but, it's 110 percent of the time yeah like 150 percent of the time and so, <laughs> so and it's almost 80 percent of the time it works every time. every time <laughs> um and so if you get a full count on him throw him something a breaking ball away and he's going to chase after it um and so Baez does concern me um Zobrist I'm less concerned about because I'm confident in his ability to you know, to turn it around. But if I can just like break from this for a second, I mean, can, can we talk about how awesome it is to see Hayward hitting the way that he has been? Yeah. I, I still have some concerns there, but I, I think on the whole, yeah, it's, it's really good. Uh, I, I looked up a stat and it was, I, I'll have to look it up again, but it was something like, um, you know, a lot of what he's done, it's been singles. Some of it's been kind of ground balls that have found the right spot. So I don't know how good to feel about what he's doing yet. And there was some stat that I found on like late April last year where his slash line looked pretty similar to what it looks like now. And I'll have to look that up. Right now he's hitting like 289 with a 340 something on base and um yeah, but but very low slugging percentage like a 333 slugging percentage and last year it was something something pretty similar to that. So I don't know I don't know how to feel about it yet. I, I want him to be doing well. So I, I'm, I'm telling myself that this is a result of, you know, positive change and not necessarily just, you know, you know, balls finding the right spot on the field, but we'll see, you know, Carlos, what do you think? Let me look up that stat and I'll let you know. Well, I was going to say, I was going to bring up the memory of our dearly departed Joel Reese in that, uh, it's nice to it's nice to get a little bit of an uplifting message uh, from Jared. That was great to, to instead of sinking deeper into the Javier Baez negativity, hey, let's talk about something positive. Yeah, Jason Hayward's doing something well, awesome. We gave him yeah. a lot of grief last year, so you know. And, and Ryan's got a good point that you know who, who knows what this is and, and what it'll translate to ultimately. But to say that he get for him to get off 
to a good start, even if it's just a batting average start. I mean, he's hitting the ball well. This is this is very, very, very encouraging. How many times did we say uh, at the, after the season ended or even towards the end, oh my gosh, if Jason Hayward could just hit 240 with a decent on base and play his defense, we'll take it. You know, that's how desperate we were at the time. So, so yeah, I agree. That's, that's good to see him do that. As for Javier Baez, it, it's interesting because... He, I, I think we've said this before many times, but he's this is this is who he's gonna be. When he has his slumps, we're gonna worry that he's never gonna come out of them, and this is it. He's finally been exposed. The truth is out there, and it's kind of the opposite of what happened with Hayward last year. Last year, he you know got off that horrible start that just kept on going and going. And I don't know. I think we'd have to go back and check. It was until what June or July that. All you know, everybody that was on the podcast finally said, "Okay, fine. This is this is not going to get turned around." But up until that point, we were all saying, "Oh no, just give him time. This is baseball. This is he's a good hitter. Don't worry, it'll turn around." Baez is the antithesis of that. Any little over uh, four with three strikeouts with these wild swings, and it's like, "Oh no, we should have traded him when he was hitting well because this is it. They, they've discovered him." And one small piece of optimism is that he does have three walks against 10 strikeouts, which doesn't sound like much, but for him, that's awesome. So if he can keep, if he can keep doing that, even if his strikeouts are high, but is he's, you know, he's at least drawing some walks, you know what, with a player like him, I'll take it. I found that stat by the way, and this will, you know, this is kind of, you know, throwing a web blanket all over everything. So, um, Coming into tonight's game, Hayward was hitting 286 with a 348 on base and a 333 slugging. On April 24th last year, 19 games into the season, he was hitting 260 with a 365 on base and a 315 slugging. So his OPS last year, 680. His OPS coming into today, 681. So. I don't really feel like he's off to that much of a better start considering he has uh, one extra base hit um, in his, I guess, 13 hits now uh, as of right now tonight. So still not seeing any power. A lot of it's still on the ground. A lot of it's still balls that kind of sneak through in the right spot. So he does look different at the plate. I'll give you that. Uh, He's not just hitting everything to the second baseman like he was last year, Uh, but I just haven't seen enough yet. I want to see a couple doubles every once in a while. I'd like to see, you know, a home run, you know, maybe one or two a month. That would be great. Uh, but as of right now, I'm just, I, I've bought in that the changes that, that will make him a different hitter, but I haven't bought in that he's a good hitter again yet. Yeah, but I, I, I feel better when yeah. he hits, though. I right. feel well, better. <laughs> when I look and I see that he actually has the highest batting average on the team of, yeah. of, the, of the regular starters, then I, I, it, it's nice and fuzzy. Yeah, it's it's all good, and he, he hits some really impressive line drives, um, you know, for outs or that have gone foul. But hey, um, no, I, I think, and that's important too. I think just to be measured about our reactions sometimes because it's easy to get. You know, your perception gets skewed sometimes, um, not only by the comparison to the rest of the team, but because by the end of the season last year, he was getting, you know, he was hitting so poorly, he's getting benched in the World Series. Um, and so to see him getting any kind of base hits now, um, yeah, it's really easy to get overly, uh, overly enthusiastic about it. Yeah, uh- 
so I think I think we've covered some 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 ground here on the offense. And unless you guys have something else, I wanted to I wanted to move into the bullpen because there's been a lot of talk lately about the bullpen and 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 the the troubles it's had uh, recently. So uh, we, we're going to go through a little uh, a little game slash experiment, and, and Ryan's going to kick this off in terms of how we talk about the bullpen. Go ahead, Ryan. All right, so I thought it would be kind of fun uh, rather than just doing the same kind of thing where we talk about, you know, who's been doing well, who's not. Um, let's do a bullpen draft. And <clears throat> essentially what that means for, for anybody who's never done any, any kind of fantasy draft, um, I think as of today there are eight pitchers in the bullpen because Carl Edwards Jr. came off the bereavement list and Tommy Lestella went on the bereavement list. So they have Wade Davis, Koji Uihara, Justin Grimm, Hector Rondon, Pedro Strope, Mike Montgomery, Carl Edwards, and Brian Dunsing. Uh, that is our group that we can pull from, and we've preset our draft order uh, as Jared with the number one pick, Carlos number two, then I have the next two picks, then Carlos, then Jared. And then when we're done, we'll discuss each each person's duo that they have and say, who, who who would you feel best about uh, who's who's tandem of relievers who got the best deal? So, no over under on this, right? No, I don't want to confuse okay, you. I, I thought about you. doing I it over, thought about Always doing it over under that. kind of setup, but I figured no, nope, Carlos you. isn't going to get that. Let's just do like a <laughs> like a fantasy draft. So Phew. Jared, Jared, okay. you're officially on the clock. You have two seconds. Go. All right. Um, obviously, Kevin Gray Done. first pick. Um, <laughs> no times up. Wade Davis. Wade Davis. All right. So Jared has Wade Davis. Carlos? Oh, I'm up. Um, I'm going to go with Hector Rondon. You stole my pick. All right. Yes. Um, so I'm, I have the next two picks. Uh, I'm taking Carl Edwards Jr. and Mike Montgomery. Son of a bitch. So am I up? Language. Uh, yes. Yes, you are up. I'm going to go with Pedro Strope. All right, Jared. Oh, man. Okay. So I, I was, Strope was, was going to be an easy one for me there. Um, they call I'll me take, Otis I'll... Nixon because I'm always stealing. <laughs> they did find him, right? He's okay? Yeah, he's, he's okay. Yeah, okay. Thanks for um, asking. But, uh, yeah, I'll take Koji Uehara. All right. So, so Jared, you have Wade Davis and Koji. Carlos has Hector Rondon. Carlos has Rondon and Strope, and I have C.J. Edwards and Mike Montgomery. Uh, thoughts, uh, Jared? Who who do you think got the better two? Well, obviously, I did. I don't. I mean, is that even a question? Or, um, yeah. well, before uh, before this past weekend, I I would have said me easily because Uehara had looked so good. Um, you know, I'll give any any reliever a, a rough day, um, but I I don't like not having. I, I kind of wanted Montgomery in there, so I don't know. I feel like I have the best two potential arms. Like, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah, like I I'm not gonna lie. I feel worse about Carlos's because I I just. I know uh, Rondon has looked good, but I still I had concerns about him coming into the year. He's he's quelled that a little bit. Man, Strope, uh, you know, as I look up at my TV, he is on the mound right now. He's given up two home runs this year. Uh, one of them, the one to McCutcheon, you know, on most normal days, that's in the in you know foul territory. 
but uh man the walks he has just walked everybody um so it, it's still early and strope has a really long track record but uh i would say of the six that we picked um those are the two that i have the most questions about i hate you <laughs> I, I like, I mean, think back to uh, maybe 10 months ago, 11 months ago, when it was Strope in the 8th, Rondon in the ninth. That was tight. Yeah. I have to throw out that I... That's did, my argument. <laughs> I did get the two pitchers that pitched the 10th inning of the Cubs in Game game 7. So. I knew that was going to come up. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was a fun way to look at it. Um, I, I don't think anybody has a bad tandem, so I think that that's my gut feeling on it. So I think that that should kind of tell you how I feel about the bullpen in general. I think they have six quality pitchers in the pen. Um, I didn't think Justin Grimm or Brian Dunsing would get picked uh, <laughs> in this group. Uh, Sorry to the Grimms and the Dunsings out there. I know the family sometimes listening. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that that's how I feel about it. Uh, what are you guys thoughts on, on the overall uh, looking at it that way? No, I mean it's it's a it's a it's a good bunch of arms. It's one of those things that I think I think Madden alluded to it uh, a couple of days ago, where he said, "Yeah, you know, I'm not worried about the bullpen. It's just a matter of figuring out the right usage, the right slots to put people in, so that everybody gets comfortable." You know, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like having a rough outline of a lineup. If you look at it from the offensive side, on the like kind of an analogy that. You know, if you know you're batting first, you prepare to bat first. If you know you're batting lower in the order, that kind of thing, the bullpen's still kind of in flux. And once this all settles in and everybody kind of knows their role, everybody will have that kind of comfort level. So, I mean, there's there's nobody on here except for maybe Dunsing, who I'm like, all right, yes, this is exciting to have them in the bullpen. Yeah, and, and these are the kinds of things that you figure out now um, mm-hmm. and get it settled now rather than than dealing with these rough patches uh, later in the season because the bullpen has actually gone out, gone through more turnaround or I don't know if upheaval is the right word than maybe we realize because, you know, as, as you alluded to earlier, um, when you had Strope run down in the eighth and ninth inning, that was so, you know, so consistently what we knew to expect. And then now when you look at the construction of the bullpen, you really have – two or three guys who could pitch in a setup role, um, two or three guys who could pitch as the closer, um, and then trying to figure out who to go to when and the, the best spot for each guy. This, this is when we learn these things so that hopefully by September, October, they're not, they're not blowing, you know, they're not blowing these leads late in games like we've seen the last couple of days. Clean inning for Pedro Strope, by the way. So you're two strikeouts. Yeah, although that one uh, to Schwarber, if that's hit a a few feet to Schwarber's left, that might be a home run. But listen, okay. listen, we're on a we're on a positivity roll here. Okay, we're 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 headed towards Montana, not towards negativity. Yeah, Let's straighten this out. I wonder if our listeners wonder where Joel went. Yeah, probably. Anyway, moving right along. <laughs> <laughs> So Jared I'm always curious. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yeah, I told, him, I told him to clear out his desk. I didn't give him an explanation either. I just said, this is it. Severance, <laughs> I hear the severance package is nice, though. It's hefty. It's hefty. I'm hoping that, you know, they'll fire me just so I can get that. 
<laughs> I actually got Joel on the uh, Spanish podcast. It's way better than the actual pay. Separate <laughs> the best part comes after you're done. Oh. Corporate America, it's a crazy yeah. place. <laughs> we all have our golden parachutes. <laughs> so I, I hate spending too much time on another team, but it, but it's interesting. The Cubs just finished playing the Pirates. Are the Pirates for real? Ryan, what's your what's your thinking on this? What, how do you feel about the Pirates? So um, a couple weeks ago, Isaac and I did the uh, the preview show uh, solo on our own because uh, Carlos was taking a nap, and um, <laughs> yeah, uh, and I said on the preview show that I thought the Pirates have um, of any team in in the NL Central kind of the biggest span of like plus minus wins like they could be a 78 win team like they were last year or they could be a like a 92 win team um and i wasn't sure where they fell you know the cardinals i, I always thought you know they're going to be around 500 plus or minus a couple games but um the pirates i thought really had the potential to be good and i know that they were three and six when they went into that series with the cubs so they came out of it six and six but we saw their best three. We saw Garrett Cole, uh, Jameson Tyone, and uh, Tyler Glasnow. And, and, you know, Glasnow didn't pitch great, but it was on a tough day at Wrigley Field when the wind was howling out. Um, so, you know, that's that's not it – was, it wasn't a great performance for him. But, but Cole and Tyone, those guys are good. And, and I just think – and. Uh, uh, Ivan Nova went into St. Louis today and, and pitched a eight inning complete game. Got got stuck with a tough loss, but uh, I think they have a really, really, really good starting rotation. I think they have probably one of the best outfields in Major League Baseball. Uh, they have some really good young players, and the bullpen's not so bad. So um, I do think the Pirates are for real. And uh, you know, once the Cubs kind of get themselves together, maybe it's not going to be a neck and neck battle in, in the NL Central. But I don't think that's out of the question. It's a fair point. Um, what, what's your what's your thinking on the Pirates, Jared? I'm curious to hear your opinion. Well, I think um, I don't know. It's hard to say anything different than what what Ryan has just pointed out. Um, I think when we get to the end of this, we will have when we get to the end of the season, we will have forgotten that the Cubs were ever swept by the Pirates, um, because as the season progresses, I don't see them remaining competitive in the division. And to be honest, I don't see them being super competitive for the wild card. They might be in that conversation, but I don't see them grabbing that spot. Um, However, I think as we get into next season or the season after that, then they become a much more legitimate contender in my mind. And so it's not that I'm saying they're not for real. Uh, I think I'm I'm more comfortable saying they're not for real yet. Kind of like the team that the Cubs are playing now, not to change the subject, but I feel the same way about the (laughs) Brewers. Um, They're not going to be an easy team to beat for much longer. Yeah, the the Brewers might be for real in a few years. Um, But one thing you said, Ryan, that got me thinking about... uh, something else that we want to discuss in terms of seeing the Pirates top three. And, you know, it makes such a big difference when you have, uh, you know, some starting pitchers that you're just like, yes, fully confident. And, and I feel like when the season started, well, I mean, even towards the end of last season, um, Cubs fans were very confident in, you know, 
at least very confident in four of their starters, and maybe the fifth one depends on how you felt about each one. But um, I wanted to go to a, a question we got through email, and I wanted I wanted you to tackle it, Ryan, because um, because you usually take questions from our from our uh, listeners uh, to kind of tee this up and and get thoughts from from the both of you on Kyle Hendricks. Yeah, this email was from Gus Zimmerman, and he says. Uh, I've seen a lot written about Arietta's dropping velocity, but not much paid attention to Hendricks. Brooks has his fastball down three miles an hour from October, which I understand maybe as much as five mile an hour decline due to the switch to Trackman. Uh, given how much, how little room for error pitchers with 90 mile an hour velocity have to start with, uh, is it time to start paying attention to his possible struggles? Um, I looked it up on Brooks just to get an an accurate estimate um, for 2016. They have his um, fastball, his four seam fastball at 88.8 uh, for 2017. So far it's 87.0 for his sinker. It's 88.1 from 2016 and 85.9 uh, for 2017. So he's down essentially two miles an hour uh, on, on some of his, his main pitches. Um, the interesting one is his curveball. Um, he was throwing at 76, 77, 78 the last three years, and right now he's throwing at about 72 miles an hour. Um, and, and the other thing is his changeup really hasn't hasn't changed at all. So we've seen a de- decline in his fastball, whereas changeup has stayed pretty close to what he's done uh, in his career. So I, I guess that is a good question. Is this... Uh, are we noticing it more um or is it is it something that is an actual problem like like is is he going to ramp it up an extra mile an hour or two uh as the season goes on is this like a oh it's just two starts kind of thing or is this an actual thing uh i guess is my question uh what do you guys think yeah so i'll tackle you know what it's interesting because i saw i noticed this exact same thing if you're looking at uh, brooks baseball um it was, I think, after the first month of last season where I, uh, I, I looked at this and I, and I basically, the exact same question Gus had, I noticed a drop in velocity and I thought to myself, well, somebody that already throws on the lower end of the, of the velocity scale, you, you, can't, you can't really pull that off. There's no way. Um, and I did note that the difference between his changeup and his fastball at least a year ago had stayed consistent, so there was that going for him. And I'm and I'm looking at the chart, and yeah, it does look like it's even slower than the beginning of last year. And why why are we why is anybody even looking at this chart? Because his his results haven't been there, right? So immediately we go looking for an answer. I, I think it's with that, everything else, it's too early to say one way or another. But I feel like I I Kyle Hendricks has been seriously doubted, including me a year ago. Uh, that that he's I give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, if the velocity stays at this level and the changeup stays at the level that it is, which means that differential is is not as wide and that, that's a problem, maybe he can figure out a way around that. But he's already got so many other things that he has to be just right with uh, to be successful that I don't know if he could do it. But again, we're talking about the, the guy who had the lowest ERA in Major League Baseball last year. So benefit of the doubt goes to him. And I think, too, we uh, we saw this last year with Jake Arrieta. 
um, coming off of such a dominant performance in 2015, particularly in the second half, that it skews, again, it skews some of our perception of, of what we're seeing. And so, you know, Jake Arrieta, I don't think was ever as bad last season as we felt like he was at times. And maybe to some degree, that's a bit of what's happening with Kyle Hendricks so far this year. Um, we are expecting to see him pitch the same way that he did last season, and it's not happening yet. Um, but I think, though, that difference between the fastball and the changeup, I agree, Carlos. I think that's the thing to watch because if the fastball velocity stays down a little bit and the the changeup, you know, changeup speed isn't separated from that enough, that's where he can get himself into trouble. And like you guys have both said, his margin for error is really small. And it, it worked last year. He made it work last year. Um, and I have every reason to believe that he's going to make it work this year, though maybe not to the same degree that he did last season. And we're, we're going to come to terms with that. Um, but I thought I did see it yesterday or the day before that all of the Cubs starters, their velocity was actually – measuring lower and like notably so hmm, that's interesting and i mean i wish i had that in front of me so i could be more specific about about what it was but it was an, an across the board dip in velocity for the cub starters which you know i don't want to overly speculate about why um but when you look at a team that's that's gone pretty deep in the postseason two straight years you know, you start to wonder about things like that. Um, yeah. I saw somebody speculating that it was like a deliberate, you know, they're purposely throwing slower, which I have a lot of questions about that. Um, but it's just something interesting that I noticed. Yeah. Um, I, I looked at I looked at it a little deeper while you guys were talking on uh, on Hendricks, and it looks like at least for his four seam fastball, um, his his velocity is pretty similar for March and April in 2017 as it was in 2016, uh, 86 to 87 average. And then it ticked up to 88, 89 the rest of the year. So it, it may just be something that, you know, we're making a bigger deal out of than it really is. Um, and it could be because we've seen all the Cubs, you know, players down a little bit. Um, I think the most noticeable one is Arietta. And I have also seen the same theory that I, I feel like it was even one of the beat writers said that Arietta was intentionally doing it um, to um, get better command of his pitches. And I, I really <laughs> think that's actually not a bad idea for him. Uh, I like uh, a Jake Arietta's stuff with excellent command at 92, 93 better than I like Jake Arrieta with absolute wild all over the map at 96-97. I just do. I, I think that pitcher um, at 92-93 being able to control some of that stuff, I think that's, that's filthy. Uh, I think he has a chance of, of being very, very good and consistent if he's pitching that way. If he's 96-97 and, and doesn't know where his pitches are going, uh, I think he's going to be all over the map like he was in the second half last year. And I think too, um, it's winning covers a lot of winning. Mm -hmm. Winning covers all manner of sins. So we we care way less about pitcher velocity when you know the team's 
winning, you know, nearly every night. Um, now that they're they're five hundred, um, and they've just been swept at home, where where we're fretting over pitcher velocity and things like that. And um, I and yeah, five, I'd be curious. three to the Brewers too. Uh, yeah, thank you, Ryan Braun. Um, but uh, at least it wasn't Jet Bandy. I mean, because who the heck is that? Can I mean, <laughs> I, this is a joke I've made uh, a couple times in the off season uh, when looking at the Brewers that um, I, I think that uh, he needs a book written about him called The Erotic Adventures of Jet Bandy. Oh, for sure. I mean, that's that that phrase just naturally seems to go in front of of his name, I think. Yeah, so that's I, th- I think that awkward pause was everybody watching uh, Miguel, Ma- Miguel Montero throw it into left field as Braun comes around to score. Yeah, yeah, I'm just watching the replay, like in disgust of yeah. Um, Break up the Cubs! This team sucks. Well, that, I mean, just in light of you know, and these poor listeners who are going to listen to this, um, not obviously not as this game is taking place, but um, the. Do you, do you guys feel like you've seen more defensive miscues or sloppy defense? Like just I'm you know I'm saying this as I'm watching Montero throw it into left field, um, but is it just me or does it seem like the defense is is a little less crisp than we expected it to be? Yeah, uh, and this is something that I've struggled with. Uh, be, because I got a lot of heat for some comments that I made in an article uh, maybe in like January when it's like a, the deadest time for baseball writing where I said, you know, if you look at park adjusted defensive efficiency and I think regular listeners will probably roll their eyes when they hear me say that phrase because I've used it before. Uh, the Cubs were uh, like the best defensive team uh, in baseball since that stat was kept essentially. Uh, going back to 2000, they were the best defensive team in baseball. Only one way to go after that. And it, the, the number two team uh, in defense, interesting, was the 2001 Seattle Mariners. They won 116 games. Uh, that team followed it up with a positive defensive season in 2002, but nowhere near the same level with basically all the same players on the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they went from 116 wins to like 92, 93. And you saw this difference, right? Like the FIP and the ERA difference where their their FIP was much higher than their ERA in 2001. And it basically same FIP in 2002 and the ERA jumped up and matched it. So um, the Cubs have the same people on the field. So you would assume, okay, you know, I see a lot of people saying, oh, they, they could be better this year with Al Moore <laughs> in center field and all this stuff. I, I think people don't fully grasp how much goes into defense. It's not just, oh, well, this player is great on defense, so it's going to be great defensively. The Cubs had everything possible go right to be, like, the greatest Mm -hmm. defensive team in baseball history last year. You know, ball placement, you know, weak contact, uh, you know, crisp fielding, um, you know, just anything that could possibly happen, like the wind blowing the wrong way or or a little little floaters dropping in or little swinging bunts that, that drop in for hits any of that stuff can really ruin um, a, a, the great defense that they have. And so far, I think that's what we've seen. I think we've seen a lot of those little 
you know, dribblers down the line fall in for a hit or a little floater to center field. So, yeah, to make the long answer to your question, Jared, I, I do think that we have seen some of that, and I think there's a reason for it. I think that a, a lot of what made the Cubs so great on defense last year was, you know, kind of luck factors. We'll just have to survive on our uh, 2016 co- uh, defensive compilation videos on YouTube uh, because, yeah, it was it was something else. Um, so, so that's an interesting – I hadn't heard the – Hey, we're throwing uh, softer on purpose, which you know is a is a is something that pitching coaches tell players all the time, but you never really expect to hear that at the major league level. Just because hey, it's the major leagues, why would you want to do that? But but uh, but I'm going to be keeping an eye on that because that would be interesting, uh, especially with last year uh, the the Cubs supposedly having all these long relievers to to spare the starting pitchers from throwing too much, which we cover that didn't really happen that strategy so if this is actually a strategy it'll be interesting to see if it's a if it's kind of a ramp up to start the season and then kind of unleash them or or what but i'm going to keep an eye on that because i had not heard that one um i don't know if you guys have anything else but i think i think we're good i think we gotta go find out how how uh the cubs are gonna get get back over the brewers on this one tonight yeah yeah, it's it's another rough one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's another rough one. They're they're just not not playing all that well uh, right now. But uh, you know, I already saw the first beat writer put out the Are the Cubs just an average team? And I'm not going to throw that person under the bus. Um, but uh, that's ludicrous. I mean, this is this is obviously a, a very good baseball team. They're uh, having you know a little bit of a struggle right now. Uh, just because, you know, they had a, you know, like Koji Uehara has one bad game, gives up some runs, and people can blame the bullpen all they want, but the bullpen's been somewhat shaky, but the offense is really just not scoring. And if the offense is going out and putting up six, seven runs a game like they were in April last year, you know, this isn't really a problem. But um, until the offense starts hitting for power again, uh, it's going to be an issue. Do not panic, everyone. That's the lesson here. Do not panic. Yeah, and if, you, uh, if you need to, every time they lose a game like this one, just uh, just go back and rewatch that last out um, from last <laughs> fall. I mean, I'm I'm I've been more serene through some of these games than I ever have right? been in my life. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. It's, right. You know, doesn't hurt that the Cardinals are four and nine. That helps a lot. That helps a lot. <laughs> we had to we had to we had to drop that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah. Well Jared, thanks for coming on. Thanks this for having great. me. Anytime you want to come on, just let us know. Thanks guys. It was a lot of fun. For the listeners, BP Wrigley cast at uh, baseballperspectives.com. Send us your questions. Thank you, Gus Zimmerman, for your question. You can also reach us on Twitter at BP Wrigleycast. Good night, guys. Good night, everybody. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.